Well, good morning, everyone. As we have uh, said and sung and seen and prayed already this morning, this is the first week in Advent. This is the season of the year when the church uh, anticipates and celebrates the coming of God into the world and into our own lives in whatever condition or state people like us find ourselves in. And so every week uh, during Advent this year, we're going to look at a scripture passage that is usually sung by the church around this time of year. And this morning, we're going to start with Isaiah 11. We've already sung Isaiah 11 this morning in the second verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The second verse is the one that says, O Come, Thou Rod of Jesse. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10 for us. You can follow along uh, in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask, as we always do, that you'd be happy to use this word that we have read and heard together um, to meet us, to draw us close to the word who came and who bore our flesh and continues to bear our flesh now, seated at your right hand, praying for people like us. Father, use this word to meet those of us who are here this morning who feel really close to you and ready to hear from you and eager to hear from you, who are hungry, who are thirsty. And Father, meet those of us who uh, don't know why we're here, who feel far from you, who are not ready, who are not prepared. Father, meet every one of us and show us the grace of Christ and change us by it. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, our family uh, went out of town for a couple days this week. Maybe some of you did that too. Uh, and for us, that meant that on Wednesday morning, we found ourselves sitting with thousands of our neighbors and uh, a bunch of other travelers from all over the Midwest as we tried very, very slowly to get out of this city. 
Um, we were on our usual pilgrimage out of the city, the Kennedy through the Jane Byrne to the Dan Ryan. Uh, maybe some of you all took that same pilgrimage, and I wonder if you did, if you noticed the signs that were over the road on Wednesday morning through that whole route. Uh, I wish I had taken a picture of those signs. They said something like this. Believe that you are strong enough to stop before you text. Believe that you are strong enough to stop before you text. It's absurd. I have no idea really what that is supposed to mean. That was the sign. Of all things, no happy Thanksgiving, no safe travels, no cheeky message about fastening your seatbelt. Just believe that you are strong enough to stop before you text. On the way back in, the sign said, Cousin Eddie says Twitter is full. Put your phone down. This is, uh, this is the sign. And as a sign for frustrated travelers, uh, it left a little bit to be desired. <laughs> well, maybe you noticed how the passage that we just read and heard together ended. It also ended with a sign. As Isaiah put it, it ends with a signal for the peoples, a banner raised, a beacon over the people. But the sign is not for frustrated travelers. It is a sign for people who find themselves in a much more difficult spot, out of control with everything broken down and falling apart around them, with devastation hanging in the air. The sign, Isaiah says in verse 10, is the root of Jesse, and his resting place will be glorious. It may look bad, Isaiah is saying, but there is still life in this thing. Things may seem broken beyond repair. They are definitely beyond your ability to fix or my ability to fix, but there is this small glimmer of life, this faint glimmer, as, and as, as improbable as it might seem in the moment, one day this glimmer will be the source not only of your healing, but of the healing of the entire burned-out world. That glimmer is going to fan into a signal, a beacon, a banner, a sign that's going to be raised for the good of all peoples, and it will be glorious. That's God's promise through the prophet Isaiah. And the good news for people like us here on the first Sunday of Advent in 2019 is that that promise is for us. So let's back up to verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. (laughs) That's where we get that line in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, about the root or the rod or the branch of Jesse. But what I want to ask is what in the world does it mean? (laughs) Well, let me try to explain it as best I can. When Isaiah is writing these words, Assyria is the dominant power in the world. They're basically carving up the known world piece by piece, nation by nation, and the rest of the world is just scrambling to be able to keep up, to figure out a way that they can stay alive and intact. And that scrambling included Israel and Judah, where God's people lived. And a guy named Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And like everyone else, he is worried about Assyria. He has spent lots of time trying to figure out how uh, Assyria is going to spare Judah if they can. 
the war machine of Assyria is just looming on the borders of his land. And this is where the prophet Isaiah comes in. He tells Ahaz that there's really only one way to get through this thing. And that is to trust God to get them through. Trust God, he says. Isaiah is really clear about this. He does not give Ahaz any complicated instructions. This is how he puts it back in chapter 7. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. Now, we don't know exactly how this advice hit Ahaz, because we don't have really any record of what he thought about this message from the prophet. But I do have to wonder how I would have taken it, how people like us would have taken advice like that. Trust God. I mean, I've never been a king facing an invasion, and I've never had a prophet speak to me as far as I know. Uh, But my mom has said some good things to me over the years. And I remember telling my mom just a few years ago when I was going through a very uh, difficult stretch, I remember telling her, Mom, I just feel really out of control of things. I feel like I don't have any control, and I just feel desperate, and I just want to know what I can do. And my mom said, Aaron, you never were in control. You just thought that you were. And you know she's not wrong. (laughs) She's not wrong at all. Those words felt so true to me, so prophetic to me. Trust God. And you know, people like us, in whatever place we find ourselves this morning, whether we have faith or we don't have faith, people like us, when we hear advice, when we hear a word like that, trust God, we only have two choices. We can either do it, or we can scramble around and try to figure out life on our own, pretending that we're in control. And so it's worth taking a couple seconds, I think, to ask ourselves what it is that might feel out of control to us right now. What feels out of control to you? Maybe it's something that's going on in your family, something with your kids, something maybe with your mom and your dad, something that's going on with your siblings. Maybe it is a sickness or a disease that you have or that someone that you love has. Maybe it's something that's going on at work or maybe you're thinking about the end of this semester or the rest of the school year and it feels super out of control to you. Maybe it's a relationship that is breaking bad. And maybe you're exhausted from trying to hold it all together tired of of scrambling to do something that will fix it, that will make it go away. And maybe the idea of trusting that God might have your good in mind through whatever this thing is, maybe that seems far off to you. Maybe it seems silly to you. Maybe it seems like it won't work, like it could never work. (laughs) 
Or maybe it just feels scary to you to give up this illusion, this fantasy of control. Well, first I want to tell you, you're not alone. And I want you to start thinking about the God who asks you to trust in him. Because really, that is what matters the most. Who is the object of our trust? So we'll come back to that. We, of course, don't know what Ahaz thought about this advice, but we know what he did. That's a matter of record. He scrambled. <laughs> Ahaz scrambles, and he, he, raised, he raids some gold and some silver from his own treasury, and he raids some gold and silver from the temple, and he sends it off to Assyria as a tribute. Tribute is the silly euphemism that was used in that world and in ours as a bribe. He goes all in with this bribe plan, and to make a long, sad, horrible story very short, it leads first to the Assyrian oppression of Judah and eventually to the invasion, downfall, devastation, and utter destruction of Jerusalem. The quicker way to say all of that is that Ahaz was a really, really bad king. He was the worst kind of leader for God's people because his primary frame of reference was always himself and saving his own skin. His desires were ordered around himself, and that meant that his actions were always going to be ordered around himself too. And to be honest, that's a very fair way to describe most of the kings who sat on the throne in Jerusalem after David. Some of them were good. There was a handful of good ones. But for the most part, they were flops. The great and vaunted Davidic dynasty had failed, and this is where it had led them, to Jerusalem in ruins, burned out heap on top of burned out heap, smoldering and smoking with devastation. And this brings us back to that promise. A shoot will spring forth from the stump of Jesse. <laughs> that image, I think, is as stark as it is beautiful. I mean, Isaiah can do a lot of things. And I'll tell you one of the things Isaiah does is he paints a picture. And when I read this promise, this is what I imagine. I imagine this lonely, burned-out, blackened field. And in the middle of the field, there's this ugly stump just sitting there. It's a stump that's left over from one of the trees that was felled in the battle for Jerusalem. And it's just smoking and charred and black, looking as dead as a burned-out stump can look. But it only looks like that. Because <laughs> there's still life in this thing. And a shoot is going to bust out from that stump, and this shoot is going to grow so strong and so sturdy and so beautiful that one day the whole world is going to see that tree and that shoot that is eventually going to bear fruit that the whole world wants comes from the stump of Jesse. <laughs> Jesse was the name of King David's father. And that's what makes this great and unexpected image even better, I think. Isaiah is saying that the God who works life where it looks like death is going to go back. He's going to rewind it back to the beginning. Really, before the beginning, 
before he ever had David sitting on the throne. And there is going to be a new king, a different kind of king for God's people. And he will be nothing like the kings that you have seen before. Isaiah says in verses 2 and 3, the spirit of the Lord is going to rest on this new king. The breath of God will be on him and that will give him wisdom and that will give him might and that will give him understanding that far outstrips any other king you have ever seen in your life. A king is coming. Adventus Rex. Advent. And I think that there are a couple things that people like us probably should hear about the arrival of this king before we ever hear what he's like. I think these are hugely important for people like us. And the first thing is that there is no pretending that things are just fine before he comes. That much should be obvious. Things are a mess. And church, that is what Advent faith always, always looks like. The Christian faith is nothing if it's not incredibly realistic. And I know that faith in general, and in particular sometimes the Christian faith, often gets accused of being a a pie-in-the-sky kind of thing that has nothing to do with how our lives are really lived out in the real world. And I just want to say that nobody, nobody who has an eye open towards the human condition, nobody has an eye open towards the actual pages of Scripture, whatever comes to that conclusion, Scripture knows what real messes in our lives look like. And it is precisely those train wrecks into which the good news comes. The king who is coming, he knows what he is headed to in your life and in mine. That is precisely why he is coming. And that's really good news. Because it means we can stop pretending. And this leads to the second thing I want to say about the advent of this king, which is that he comes by grace. It's not like Ahaz all of a sudden got his act together. It's not like the people of Jerusalem, devastated, broken, sad, got together and they they cleared out the space around this really nice, ugly stump. And they said, hey, God, look, we've cleared out the space for you to come. You You might find this to be a really nice stump to do stuff out of. And we promise, we promise if you do it, we'll have a renewed faith and we'll take things really serious from now on. That isn't how it worked then. That's not how it works now. (laughs) And that's not how it will ever work. We do not earn the advent of this king. We couldn't earn the advent of this king if we tried. And the best thing that any of us are going to hear this morning is that we don't have to earn it. This king comes sometimes without even being asked. He comes by grace into the broken and burning rubble. That's the kind of place this king loves. He flies to those places. The advent of this king is by grace. Whatever it is in your life that feels burned out and broken down and devastated and out of control, I promise you, he is already running to that place right now. And so then Isaiah tells us about this king who comes by grace. And in verse 3, here's the first thing 
that Isaiah says about him. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. (laughs) If that sounds a little bit odd to you, good. (laughs) Because the truth is often lodged in the odd and strange places. Because when we think of fear, we think of being afraid of things. And when we think of fearing God, we often think we fear that he is out to get us. It's hard to imagine how anyone would delight in that. But that is not what scripture means when it talks about the fear of the Lord. It might help us to think about the opposite. For example, Ahaz, he didn't fear the Lord. And it is devastating and sad. Because the truth is, Ahaz just didn't care about God. God was essentially irrelevant to him. And so he ordered his desires around himself. And he orders his actions around what he wanted. He was the highest point of reference for himself, which means he had turned in on himself. And things always go tragically bad when human beings do that. The Apostle Paul calls that becoming futile in our thinking and having our hearts darkened. And for Ahaz, that meant scrambling, scrambling to get this bribe going because he for sure wasn't going to trust God like that dumb prophet told him to. And it is just a matter of history where that led. Destruction. But church, we were made for something completely different than that. We were made to desire God. We were made to live every moment of our life under his gaze and in reference to him. That's what scripture calls fearing God. Fearing God happens when our highest point of reference is God and when his desires and his loves slowly become our desires and our loves. When we live like that, not turned in on ourselves, but turned outward towards God and towards our neighbors, we are finally living the life that God created us for. And church, that, that way of life, that is this coming king's greatest delight. And you know what it leads him to? It leads him to rule the world in the justice and in the peace for which it was created in the first place. Isaiah says he judges with righteousness and faithfulness. The wicked are no longer allowed to run roughshod over everyone and everything. The poor The meek who formerly had no representation, who formerly had no leverage. The poor and the meek are finally cared for with equity. This world will be like Eden before we messed it up. And Isaiah gets lyrical in verses 6 through 9, and he paints a picture, these captivating images of what this world will look like when this king rules. It's a world where wolves and leopards and lions hang out peaceably and goats and calves and big old fat cows hang out peaceably. And this whole strange, unlikely herd, it gets led around by a little child. It's a world where cows and bears graze together and their little calves and cubs curl up for naps together. It's a world where lions, the killers... (laughs) eat straw like the ox. And little kids, 
they'll still be little kids in that new world. They'll still wander around trying to check everything out, trying to explore everything. And one of them will play at the cobra's hole. And another of them will put his hand on the adder's den. And you know what? It's okay. <laughs> There's nothing to fear. The kids will be all right. <laughs> because those wily old snakes are not interested in the old enmity anymore. That is the old broken world. And this is the new one. Where everything is as it should be. Isaiah says this is God's holy mountain where no one will hurt or destroy where the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. This is the picture. All of this is to say the king is the king who flies towards the burned out and the broken down and the out of control situations. And he comes not because his people said some magic words to convince him or because they somehow tricked him into thinking they were worth saving. He comes by grace driven by love for people like us. And when he comes, he comes with healing and forgiveness and justice and peace. And church, I just want to say, if someone like that can't be trusted, then I don't know who could be trusted. I don't know who could be trusted. And listen, the point is not that we would have incredible trust, like super strong, golden trust, turned up to 11 trust, amazing trust that people will write books about. It doesn't need to be like that because the point is not the strength of our trust. It is the object that matters. And we cling onto him with whatever little bit of trust we have. And that is good news. It's good news for people living in the 8th century B.C., and it is good news for people like you and me right here, right now, this morning. And in a way, it's even better news for us. Because we know who this king is. Isaiah said in verse 10 that this root of Jesse is going to one day stand as that signal for the peoples, that banner, that sign that goes out for the good of the world. Isaiah knew it was true. He just never could have dreamed what it would look like. But Jesus, he talked about it in John 12 when he talked about himself. And he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. He comes unbidden by his grace alone into the devastation and the destruction that we have wrought by making ourselves our highest reference point for everything. And he steps in on the cross to take your blame and mine, and he breaks the power of sin and the thrall of evil over the whole world by his death and resurrection. Church, this is the king who has come. And this is the king who is coming. You can trust him. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be troubled. Let's pray. 
Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who see and who believe and who cling to that king who has come for people like us into the devastation, into the chaos, that we cling to him with even the tiniest finger of trust and faith so that we would be changed and made new. Father, we ask that you would help us to trust for our good and for the good of this broken, burned out, devastated world around us. And we pray it in his name. Amen.